Okay, good evening, everyone. I'd like to call to order the October 23rd, 2023 meeting of the Loudoun Communications Commission. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this evening, we are um, missing a few members, so we do not have quorum. So we won't be able to officially approve motions, et cetera. However, uh, we have a few important guests to hear from this evening. So we will otherwise carry out a normal meeting. Uh, we would normally, um, the first item we would normally review and approve is the agenda. Uh, since we won't be a formally approving the agenda, uh, despite that, um, uh, the chair will take any suggestions or issues, questions uh, relating a, to the agenda. As a point of order, do we have a forum given our open seats? I don't believe so. No, because we're missing. No, you, you would only have four of eight. Right now. Right. Yeah. We're one short. One short. Yeah. Unfortunately, Miss <laughs> Harrison's, Harrison's seat is still considered filled because we have not gotten a formal resignation from her regarding, even though we've made multiple attempts and the uh, board office has been notified, but they haven't been successful either. So. Okay. Thank you. All right. So any, any, uh, Suggestions, questions, upgrades for the agenda. Okay, seeing none, we'll, we will also skip the uh, approval of the June minutes. That was our last meeting and um, move on public comment. Do we have any members of the public? Yes, sir. Signed to speak. Okay. And that takes us to our guest speaker this evening, Tom Ennis from all points. You with us, Tom? Yes. Can you all hear me? We can. Great. Uh, well, thanks for having me back. It's been a couple of years. Uh, good to see some familiar faces. Got a presentation today for um, the broadband project I sent to Chris. Oh, great. Okay. Um, so the focus tonight is going to be on joint use and make ready, which is what we are focused on. Uh, and then I got a couple other slides at the beginning and end, just kind of overall for the project. Um, and I think a lot of this, you know, we want to have as a reference for your supervisors, if they ask about make ready. So I may skip over some of the more, um, detailed slide decks. Uh, and I also know that some of you are more familiar with make ready, um, than others, but this is a good reference point for supervisors. If they ask what's going on with the project in general or about make ready. So, um. With that, I'm happy to to jump into it, Chris. If you want to go to the next slide, um, so so Tom, it's probably useful to um, just point out um, your uh, are you still scheduled? Is Jimmy still scheduled to brief the board? Uh, can you remember yes. remind us what date that is? Uh, I got a message from Dave that the November board meeting was canceled. Um, and uh, we were asked today if December 5th could work, and I'm trying to confirm that, but we, I think we just found out today about that. Okay, so this is sort of our preview, I presume, of most yeah. of what you're yes. gonna Yes, just a preview, and um, we gave a presentation in August, or maybe September, but uh, we gave a presentation to Supervisor Kirshner's staff and Supervisor Buffington's staff, 
uh, about make ready and um, you know, one of the points that came out of that was, you know, it sure would be helpful to share this with the communications commission. So we're kind of in between that last supervisor update and the official board meeting. Um, but yeah, the, the supervisors will get a condensed version of this make ready presentation. Um, I think if we went this long, they'd probably kick us off the agenda. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Tom. Sure. All right, so quick reminder, um, this, the Beatty project is a partnership between the county, all points, Dominion, uh, Novak, and DHCD, which we'll refer to kind of interchangeably as DHCD or Beatty, uh, the Virginia Telecommunications Initiative, which is their grant program. Building fiber broadband to 8,600 locations that were unserved as of the date of the grant application uh, and made it through a challenge process. And we're going to do that between all points in Dominion, building about 620 miles of fiber in the county. Um, that is for Dominion, they rely on the middle mile statute, which allows investor owned utilities to um, uh, build middle mile infrastructure fiber that satisfies their business need and also goes to unserved. So. The Dominion fiber is kind of in a different category, but between us and Dominion, we're adding 620 miles to the county. Um, also, a, a quick reminder is that, you know, All Points doesn't receive any funding from the county or the state until we deliver on a specific milestone. Um, so there's no do dollars that are released up front to All Points, and it's not a, a straight cost reimbursement um, program, although, you know, eventually that's what it is, but uh, as we go along, we have to demonstrate actual progress with real milestones for the county and DHCD. We did the first of those three back in August. Um, it's been submitted and approved. Everything looked good. This was for the pre-construction milestone. So we have a, a step for uh, multiple iterations of network design um, on the desktop. And then we go out in the field and we drive all the routes and do a bunch of validation. Uh, incorporate design changes back into the desktop design, and that's uh, what we completed and submitted for in August. Um, from this point on, changes to the design will really result from make ready uh, construction costs being too high, where we would change an aerial route to underground um, or or something along the margins. But for the most part, the the design is set. And then uh, another reminder, I just listed where the, the funding is coming from. So, Beatty, uh, they are using state and local fiscal recovery funds of the American Rescue Plan Act for a little under $18 million. The county, a little under $12.5 million, also using ARPA funding. All Points Broadband, a hair over $21 million of direct investment. And then through the Middle Mile Statute, Dominion. Uh, we'll build about $10 million worth of middle mile uh, directly attributable to the broadband project. And then uh, let's go to the next two slides. Just a reminder of the project areas. This is the northern region, and then we get the southern region next. Um, those are the project areas. And then within each of these pink polygons, we have specific locations that we build to. Um, this is all publicly available, but for um, folks who may be new to the commission, you know, we're not going to all of Loudoun County. We're just going to a very specific 
unserved locations within these pink polygons. Um, and so if you're not in this, you're not in this specific grant project. And uh, now we can move on to the meat of the, the presentation, which is the make ready. So, um, uh, we are right now underway with make ready. So there's a couple different stages. Um, at a high level, we fielded about 14,000 polls, which means we've gone out in the field and collected a lot of data on them. We have 3,000 of those sitting uh, as a pending application with Dominion and Novec um, of about the 10 or 11,000 we plan to submit. And we've started to receive notice to proceeds. Um, the, the speed with which we receive notice to proceed is going to do, to determine the pace of construction. Um, and that's not just for all points, that's for all greenfield rural fiber deployments. Uh, if you're going aerial and you don't own the poles, then you are dependent on the pole owner. Um, and then this last point, you know, the, the number of poles we're attaching to is unprecedented, um, even for companies like Dominion Energy. So for the five years, before the rural broadband program started, on average, they were seeing about 8,000 attachment requests per year across their entire footprint. So cities, towns, rural areas across all of Virginia, they were getting on average about 8,000 attachment requests per year from everyone. Um, in about the last 13 or 14 months between Dominion and our co-op partners, We've gotten a notice to proceed on 20,000 polls. We have 25,000 applications pending and another 35,000 uh, in the engineering queue ready to be submitted. Um, so just in a little over a year, you know, we've done about 10 years worth of what would have been Dominion's annual um, rate. And I know a lot of those are, are co-op polls, but I, I want that data point out there just to make sure people know that um, the make ready, the number of polls to be made ready is truly substantial, uh, even for a company like Dominion. All right, let's move on to the next one, Chris. So, uh, the, there is a legal framework for non-poll owners and telecommunications providers, like an all points broadband, to attach to a poll owned by an electric utility. Uh, whether they're an investor-owned utility or a co-op, the rules are a little bit different, but basically um, they can't deny access if we are, they can't deny it um, on a non-discriminatory basis where they have sufficient capacity and where we go through all of their engineering rules. Um, but there are a lot of processes in place to make sure that it is a safe attachment. We're not damaging the electric infrastructure on the pole and that the pole is actually capable of holding up the equipment. Um, we, we try to go through electric pole owners because it's about half as expensive as going underground, um, especially in, in mountainous areas or where there's a lot of rock. Um, you know, the cost to go underground is about twice as expensive. So our preference is to go aerial, even if it is a long drawn out process. Uh, a little later on, I have a, a slide for the FCC regulations, but in general, the process is supposed to take about 165 days from an accepted application 
from the attacher, like all points, until the poll owner gives you a notice to proceed. Um, and, you know, that that's the FCC guideline. That's their rule. But not all electric utilities can make it in 165 days. And um, we are constantly working with the electric utilities to get that throughput up. Uh, and I got some more slides on, on that process in detail. So let's move to the next one. Uh, so the make ready process is from soup to nuts. How do we make sure a, an existing utility pole can accommodate new communications attachments? Um, and it could be as easy as the pole owner saying, yes, we agree. You can attach here. No changes required, which is great. Uh, we have a couple of those in Loudoun already. Um, but then there's a, a progressing amount of work from uh, the top of this list to the bottom. The easiest, if there is work to be done, is relocating existing communications lines. So let's say uh, Comcast is attached to a Dominion pole, and they're in the top slot of the telecommunications zone, and Dominion has de determined that we should be in the top slot, then Comcast moves down to the second slot, and then we can attach in the top. That's the easiest of the make ready. Uh, moving down the list, relocating electric equipment could be the, the neutral wire, which is typically the lowest element of the electric zone. Uh, if it can, perhaps that needs to be moved up. Um, a little bit more expensive, but certainly better than replacing a pole. We'll have instances where in between poles, there's too much sag between the electric elements and the communications wire. So we'll put a pole in in between, which is called a mid-span pole. Uh, the worst and most expensive is replacing the entire pole with something that is larger that involves moving electrical equipment from the old pole to the new pole, waiting for existing communications providers to move their equipment, uh, then taking down the old pole and then attaching an all points uh, wire. That is what we want to avoid, but if it needs to be done, then uh, we need to do that, and we have a slide about who pays for it. Uh, if we go down to the next one, we'll go through the make ready process. So, when we're looking at make ready, there's two things we have to, to check off. One is clearance for the National Electric Safety Code. Um, this is maintaining a distance between a communications line and the lowest element of the power zone, which is typically the neutral wire. That's the, the single wire uh, you know, several feet below the primary line. And when you're on a pole, um, you need to be 40 inches away from it. And in the middle, where it's sagging the most, you need to be 30 inches below the sag of the neutral wire. And it's not on a, a beautiful October night you know, with no ice. Uh, we do this math during a 10-year ice storm. And we we calculate how much ice would be on a neutral wire, depending on its diameter and its rate of sag, and then how much ice would be on our uh, potential wire. And as, as long as they maintain 30 inches between the two in the mid-span, then we have enough clearance uh, between the electric zone. And then we do the math between our telecommunications wire and the ground at the mid-span between the poles. So 
It's not the elevation at the foot of the pole, but it's the elevation that we determine halfway through. And that has to be 18 feet above, for example, a VDOT road or nine feet above a pedestrian area, uh, 18 feet over a field so the combine can get under. So we do that clearance math, and that's one category of pole make ready engineering. Uh, then the second is called pole loading analysis, and that really takes into account the lateral forces on a pole. Um, so we're attaching a steel strand wire between poles, and that will induce a lateral force if the line of poles is, let's say if they're going from north to south, and then they take a, a westerly direction that's going to pull the pole where the line changes, it'll pull the pole to the west. Depending on how strong the pole is, that new theoretical attachment could pull it over. Um, and so we do a pole loading analysis for determining if the existing pole is strong enough. Um, we'll also do ice loading and a wind analysis to see if the if the wind would blow a pole over uh, as a result of our new attachment. And that's called pole loading analysis. So let's go to the next slide here, Chris. Uh, everyone has seen a, a telephone pole. These are the, the these are the attachments on a pole. But we can go to the next one. Uh, so utility pole fielding. This is what we're doing right now a lot in Loudon. It's actually slowing down because we're we're about done. Uh, but a vehicle goes out in the field. That picture on the top right is a Timmins Group sedan. So it may not be a construction truck or a bucket truck. It could just be a red sedan driving around. They have a very expensive camera on a tripod um, and they put up a measuring stick at the base of the pole and take pictures at, at every angle. Um, and they analyze the current attachments, set their the type of strand and the height. Um, and then you can see an example on the right-hand side here, there's a little hill in between the two poles. So we calculate the elevation uh, between poles as well. And all of this data goes into um, a complicated software and we find out, you know, all right, well, we think at this pole, all points needs to attach at 19 feet, eight inches in order to be 40 inches below the neutral and to have clearance the whole way. Um, so this is what the, the utility pole fielding looks like. Now let's go to the next slide. Uh, and clearance is relatively easy calculation. The pole loading analysis, depending on the exact software that um, electric utility uses, can be more uh, user intensive. So most engineers can do about 30 poles of PLA per week, uh, depending on the, the software tool required by the pole owner. And, but here's an example on the, the left. You see a pole that in the, the math equation is gonna bend too far to the right, so it needs to be replaced. Uh, and then on the picture on the right, we have a, a third attachment. And even after the pole loading analysis, the pole is green, it still stands up strong. Uh, every single pole that goes through pole, to lo pole loading analysis needs to be green. Um, it's mostly used for where a section of poles that we're attaching to is changing direction 
or it is crossing another run of electric wire, even if we don't attach to the poles. So we would we would do pole loading analysis on all adjacent poles that we attach to. So if we're attaching on a north to south run of poles and it intersects with an east to west primary electric line, we'll do at least one pole on the east and west side of the pole that we're attaching to to make sure that our attachment doesn't affect uh, downstream electrical elements or poles. We go to the next slide here. Uh, here is the the process for the FCC's make ready. Um, you can see there's some back and forth between the pole owner and the attachment, uh, the attacher, and you see the timeline on the right hand side. Uh, this is for investor owned utilities and most co most cooperatives like Novec uh, typically follow this timeline. Um, uh, one thing to note here is that the, you've probably heard of one touch make ready or OTMR. Uh, this is intended to reduce delays caused by existing attachers. So if all points gets permission from Dominion to attach to a pole and Dominion says you can attach as soon as Verizon moves their wire down 10 inches. Well, we would go to Verizon or whomever the pole, uh, the attacher would be and say, hey, we would want to use a shared vendor that you approve of. Uh, is it okay if we do one touch make ready? Uh, and, and we coordinate that through the attacher and through Dominion. Um, it doesn't always work with every pole, but that's certainly the goal is to reduce the number of trips to a pole. Um, if you're interested, you can read more details about each different stage here, but I think we're okay to move to the next one. Uh, quick bullet points on the cost. So the cost charged by the pole owner must be, must be actual and reasonable. Uh, this is just for reimb reimbursement. This is not a profit center for the pole owner as much as they may, you know, want it to be because it is kind of a headache. Uh, this is only reimbursement. And all of the make ready costs are borne by the cost causer. So it's typically an attacher like all points, but if there is a pole that is currently standing, but violates existing code or existing standards by the pole owner, uh, then they have to bring it back into compliance before charging an attacher like all points. So um, you may see this on clearance, but typically it's more on pole loading analysis. Um, because those rules and standards have changed more than clearance recently. Um, but regardless of who pays for the cost, they need to be replaced or upgraded or made ready before all points can attach. Um, and these are, you know, these may be in addition to the VADI project budget. We had a, a make ready budget to begin with. Um, but if the costs go over for the VADI project, and that's borne by us. Uh, and the, the poll owners, but not passed on to DHCD or the county. Uh, and again, the timing of this work determines the timing of the Beatty project, because if the poll's not ready, we can't attach to it. And I think I got an example here from Novec. Maybe next, Chris. All right, so I took a sample size of the polls analyzed by the Timmins group. These are Novec polls. And you can see a little bit of a difference between clearance on the left and pole loading analysis on the right. 
Uh, if it's green, it's good. It means it passes the engineering work with no change required. Red is a, a pole failure. So major electric design needed typically means a new pole. Um, orange is some mix of electric and communications make ready needed, typically moving things around on the pole. Uh, and then yellow on the left is just communications make ready. Then on the right, we see fewer poles failing after our attachment. That's the, the red slice at about two and a half, a little more than two and a half percent of poles would fail the lateral analysis after we attach. Um, a lot of these 20% would fail before we attach. I think in, in the case of Novak, uh, what you may see is that the devices that the Timmons group uses to determine the pole alignment from one pole to the next uh, is gonna be very, very precise. So they can tell in a run of poles, if one is to the left or the right, you know, one or two degrees. Um, and so in its system, it would say that that is an angle pole, which means you have to do pole loading analysis and it's gonna create all these lateral forces. Uh, but in reality, you know, any human being that goes look and looks at that run of poles would say they're all straight. Um, so there may be some overstatement of failing before the attachment, but regardless, we have to do pole loading analysis uh, for every single pole. And then that gray section on the right-hand side in the, the, the pie chart, uh, more than half the poles don't even require a pole loading analysis, which is, is, is a good sign for, for Novec. Um, and about 20% pass the, the test anyway. So let's go to the next slide. Um, on the right-hand side, I have some screenshots from our dashboard that we use to manage the poll applications with Dominion and the electric co-ops. Um, we'll provide these to the county, I think on a monthly basis now going forward. Uh, what you see in those columns in the top are the four different fiber service areas in Loudoun, one, two, three, and four. The height of the column is the number of poles that we expect to attach to. Um, so a little over, or about 4,000 for Loudon 1, 2, and 3. And we fielded 2,000 in Loudon 4. That's mostly in uh, Novak territory. Probably need to field a little bit more, but I, I think there's fewer poles in Loudon 4. That's why the column is shorter. The, the yellow indicates the number of poles that have been fully engineered and submitted for attachment and are under review by the pole owner. And if you can see the little sliver of green in Loudon 2, um, we've started to get notice to proceeds back in Loudon 2. Um, and you know, hopefully those, both the yellow and green columns progress to the top and we can start releasing to construction. Um, we typically wouldn't release to construction until the entire column is green. And then that FSA would be serviceable once it's all built. Yeah, frankly, you know, that, that's in an ideal world, we don't wait till it's green, but as long as we have large chunks of constructible miles in sequence, we'll start releasing them to construction. Um, so my guess is the green would have to be at least halfway up the column. Um, Let's see here. So down the bottom right, this is the time outstanding of every single application we have. So a little over 3,000 poles right now. 
on average, they've been accepted for 38 days. Um, but that kind of hides the, the oldest application, which is 87 days old. So every time we put in a new application, you know, it's been pending for a day or two, and that brings the average down. So we keep track of the average outstanding and the oldest. Um, and we expect that once that application gets to 165 days, we expect to have a notice to proceed and we're already receiving some in Loudoun, uh, which is a good sign. But again, you know, very, very, very early on notice to proceeds uh, and the rate with which we get these responses determines our last mile construction. We also submit them in a logical sequence. In an ideal world, we get them approved and returned, you know, exactly in the sequence that we submitted them. But that's not how the polls are in the field. So we could get, you know, 300 polls in a row of notice to proceed and then seven, uh, maybe that are failing clearance or fail PLA and they need to be replaced. Um, and so we just don't know how exactly the the make ready construction will progress, but we do submit them all in a sequence uh, that makes sense for our construction. Um, and in an ideal world, they come back that way, but some polls just take longer to, to be made ready. Uh, and these are data points that we'll provide to the county from now till the end of the project. Um, and it's helpful information, you know, to keep track of the, the number and days outstanding for every single poll application. Go to the next one. Um, also, in terms of managing expectations, quick reminder on how we communicate to homes uh, and businesses before release the sales date, which is the date they can actually um, sign up and get service. We won't know that date until about 90 days in advance. Uh, which we, which is when we send our first direct mailer. That's what DM stands for. So we send the first direct mailer right after we release the construction. Um, and then we'll have a series of communications along the way leading up to and through their ability to sign up for service and install. And we do it a couple of different ways. We do door hangers and yard signs. Uh, we'll do direct mailers some social media, uh, some community events, but we really want folks to sign up and pre-register at apbfiber.com. Uh, there's no commitment. There's no obligation for service. You don't have to pre-register to be included in the, the project. You know, you're in whether you like it or not, if you're one of those 8,600 locations, uh, but it certainly helps with the communication if you've pre-registered. Uh, one thing that we've noticed is that people get maybe two thirds of the way through the survey or they type in their address and then they, they stop there. You need to go through the entire process, answer a question or two and, and click submit. Um, otherwise the system doesn't register. It just, it registers you as going halfway through, but doesn't sign you up for pre-registration notifications. Uh, until about 90 days out, it's gonna be pretty, quiet um, unless we have major project news to announce. I know we sent a mailer out um, a couple weeks ago in Loudoun 
to all locations just to remind them, hey, you've, you've been part of this project, please go to the website, pre-register. So that was their first mailer, um, but it, it was not the 90 day, obviously not the 90 day notice mailer. Um, so we may do some things in the interim, uh, but this is our general release of sales approach. And then I got a couple slides about bead, uh, which I'm sure everyone is familiar with. This is probably repeating some info, but um, one thing to be aware of is that DHCD is going to have a, a challenge process for bead that is different than VADI, uh, the, the state level program, um, in a couple of ways. One is that they are starting with a list of federally allocated locations, um, not the state's database of where an address is. So I think they're going to have some some issues and would look for some help on on identifying actual locations. And two, the challenge process for the bead program will happen before the grant applications are submitted. So for the Vady project, we put together an application, put these addresses out um, to be challenged by other providers. And the bead program, it, the challenge process happens in advance, and then the state says, all right, these are the definitive only locations that you can apply for. They are unserved. Um, for better or for worse, that's all you can do. So the way that that works is seven days after the assistant secretary um, in the Commerce Department signs Virginia's proposal, Seven days after that, there's a 30-day clock for locations to be challenged. Then providers have 30 days to offer a rebuttal. DHCD has 30 days to make a determination. Uh, and that's it. That's the whole challenge process. So we don't know when this will happen, but it will be on very, very short notice. And then uh, DHCD will solicit and receive letters of intent for uh, those interested in bead within 60 days of the challenge, challenge process being completed and approval of the bead program by the NTIA. Um, you can read the volume two proposal, which is the bead proposal at the link below. Uh, the state submitted that several weeks ago to NTIA for approval. Um, let's go to the next slide, Chris. So another difference here for Bede and Beatty is that um, all of the application and project areas in Bede will be set to the zip code tabulation area uh, within a county. And you have to submit for at least 95% of the locations resulting from the challenge in that ZCTA. Um, Couple of, of things that it does here, but the, the state determined this. Um, it reduces the number of unincluded locations and sets the geographic boundary for a bead, bead project. Um, and then from that date, all providers have 90 days uh, to submit their bead application for DHCD. And then if there are any remaining locations that were unincluded, then DHCD will work with any provider that they find to, to try to close the gap. 
the preference is going to be for fiber, um, fiber broadband to unserved and underserved locations. And if you request too much more than their cost threshold, then they're allowed to fund locations with alternative technologies. Um, but frankly, Virginia got a lot of money allocated to them. Uh, they should be able to satisfy a lot of the remaining unserved with fiber. Um, which is not going to be many locations in Loudon, but this is good info for supervisors if they ask. And then down at the bottom, I broke out the scoring percentages that are in uh, the state's proposal to NTIA, which hasn't been approved, but I wouldn't suspect this to change. So again, like in Vady, the number one category is how many subsidy dollars are you, are you requesting per location? Um, then they have the next highest is how affordable is your gigabit service level? They have some fair labor practices, which I think each provider is going to get if they check uh, very minimal requirements. Um, all projects now for bead are set at three years, even if they are, you know, a hundred locations. One of the things that I think a lot of folks in the industry have learned through Beatty is that um, an 18 month project is is pretty unrealistic. And if you really want to do universal, considering all the strains on the supply chain, changes to inflation or interest rates or what have you, um, they're just setting everything at three years. And, you know, they're also going to be competing with the same vendors, same suppliers as everybody else in the bead program. So I think there's some understanding here that the bead projects are going to take a little bit longer, even if they are a fraction of the size of a Beatty project. The last two categories are universality. So at a minimum, you need to apply for 95% of locations. And then they give you more points if you get up to 100%. Um, and then the last category, just under 10% is a locality letter of support uh, for an application. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions about um, the project or make ready or bead, although bead is, uh, the proposal has been submitted to NTIA, it's not final. So I can only answer what they have submitted. Okay, thank you. Um, questions? Sure, uh, Tom, I appreciate that. This is uh, Patrick Ryan. Uh, I was curious if you could uh, give us a breakdown of the, um, the 620 fiber miles. I, I think I heard you say that some of it was gonna be built by all points and some by Dominion. Do you have, again, a breakdown of? Yeah, it's about two thirds all points, one third Dominion. And um, I recall reading in um, another, uh, jurisdiction that you had said that each crew can uh, build about 20 miles of, of yes. fiber per month. 20 miles per month. Go uh, on. So, so they can do each fiber crew on, uh, on our projects right now are doing about 20 miles a month. And that's a mix of aerial and underground. Um, and, you know, they will scale up and scale down uh, depending on how many constructible miles we put in front of the vendor. So, 
Uh, there's a mix of, you know, local construction, but also national construction firms. And when they bring in crews, they want to work them. From start to finish, so they want to see a lot of miles that have been permitted. Uh, either for underground or aerial, and they want to see those miles in a row in a county and we hand it to them and they. Determine, you know, how many crews they can commit. Um, to build on a certain timeline, so. I think, you know, right now we have 18 or 20 crews out on the northern neck. Um, so they're busting out a lot of miles, but that's because we have a lot of poles made ready in a row out there. Um, I don't think we'll see 18 or 20 miles in Loudon, uh, 18 or 20 crews in Loudon. Um, but we would certainly have a lot, uh, and folks are interested in building these larger networks so we can be competitive with national providers. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, a question about the, the, the polls and you, you said you fielded 14,000, uh, 3,000 of those have been submitted for engineering on the Novak or Dominion side. Um, what's yeah. the queue look like for those 8,000? Is that still your engineering? Um, Timmons group, I guess. Yeah, that, that's in our house for Timmons. Um, and we, you know, we want to get those submitted as soon as possible. And we are um, expanding our relationship with Timmons. It feels like every week. Uh, um, but yeah, those are in, in our queue and the 3000 that have been submitted and accepted are in the poll owners queue. So that's the 30 to 82. I think you said was the longest one in that queue. Uh, yeah, like 80, 87 days or something like that. It's a max. Um, and then, and, yeah, one more question. I appreciate your answers here. Um, you had four, um, areas, lab one, two, three, and four. Um, and I heard you say four was a Novik territory. Is there any more kind of detail you can provide as to what one, two, and three, four equate to your northern, your southern? Uh, yeah, it's basically quadrants of north, west, northeast, southwest, southeast. I can, um, I can send you all a map of one, two, three, and four. You're awesome. No, I appreciate that. Thanks again, Tom. Sure. Any other questions? Uh, Tom, so I, I do appreciate you coming tonight. Um, and I appreciate all the, all the information. Um, so if memory serves correct, I think, um, we had written this project was originally spec to be 24 months. Is that right? 2 years. Correct. Yeah. And we come up on those 2 years next June. Is that right? July 1st. July or August, I think. Right. So that would put us at roughly 17 months. Yeah. From, you know, as of today. So. We still have 8,000 make ready applications ready to submit. Um, do you have an ETA on how long it's going to take to get those remaining eight submitted? Uh, I don't, but it, it, we are getting pretty close on the, the make ready and having that done in time for enough crews to get out and build. You know, those 400 miles. 
Right. So um, if if the make ready is taking within 90 days when submitted, then the best case is you've got make ready, assuming all 8,000 apps are ready to go in now, sometime early part of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't see how you're going to make much progress in the middle of the winter. Um, besides, as you say, it sounds like you need a significant contiguous portions of the network all approved before it warrants starting crews on them, right? Right, right. Okay, so um, it doesn't seem to be any chance of making June next year. Well, remember, it just needs to be, right, it needs to be service available. Uh, I certainly wouldn't expect, you know, a substantial number of folks to have signed up and gotten installed, but most of them should be able to say that they are serviceable um, by July. Uh, but we are we're getting pretty close on the timeline to submit the rest of those poll attachment applications. So um, service by service ready is a milestone that you're saying when the poll down the street is completed and the customer can order service and you can then install the tail. Is that right? Right. So it's not having so the 24 months is to have the 600 and some miles of fiber distribution right. done, not to yeah. have 8,600 homes wired up. No, that'll take, um, I mean, it'll probably take a couple of years for that many people to sign up, but they, they could sign up at the two year mark. Um, but you're right. It's not. It's not to get all of those drops completed and installed. It's just they could sign up for it, and they could do the install. Um, but it's just being serviceable. That that's the deliverable for the grant. Okay. And so let's say, do you have any sense as to how long? Let's say if you add two thirds, seventy five percent of Eight to six hundred homes. Go ahead and take service. How long it would take to get that many connected? Um, it would take a while, and we are working with vendors who just do drop installs, and it would be similar to bringing in the you know a nationwide provider to do lateral and distribution miles. We would have to bring in a certainly a third party vendor to do those kinds of installs if if two thirds of the people signed up right away. So for folks who have underground electric and telephone mm-hmm. wires from the utility poles off the street, you would you wouldn't have access to poles to right. to provide to provide the drop to the home. So you would need to go underground to those locations, correct? Yeah. Right, and those take a little bit longer because you have to do the misutility locate. Um, and frankly, you know, not every underground utility 
at someone's home is marked and locatable, uh, like a, a dog wire or, you know, uh, irrigation or even sometimes a, a propane line going from the propane tank to the house. So that requires a little bit more hands-on work and actually talking with the homeowner to see if they have plans for where their irrigation lines were run or, um, you know, maybe a technician has to hold the dog collar and go out and see where his hand gets zapped. Um, so some of those underground drops do take a little bit longer. Um, but as long as their electric service is underground and that's the path that we want to go for our broadband drop, um, then that homeowner gets all the same benefits as everyone else, even though it's more expensive and more timely than another drop, but it does take quite a bit longer to do an underground drop, mainly to make sure we're not cutting anything on the way. Right. Okay. And then just to confirm, so with the initial 8,629, I think is the number mm -hmm. um, homes in the project scope, um, you'll be providing drops to all of those, regardless of the setback. Yes. Now, say, say, if we, um, let's say their electric service is all aerial uh, to the home, and that's what we determine to be the drop for broadband. And the homeowner says, well, you know what? One wire is plenty attached to my home. I want to go underground. Um, then they, that would no longer be included, and we would give them a, a cost estimate for that. Um, or if, let's say, their electric service was underground to the northwest corner of the home, and that's where we wanted to do the drop for broadband as well. And they say, well, we actually want you to go around the flower bed to the southeast corner of the home um, and go this extra distance and go under my driveway. Then that's no longer a standard either. But as long as we're following the electric path, and it's a standard install as we described to the homeowner. As long as they don't change that or want something custom, then they, they get all the baby benefits. Okay. Uh, so I, I did have a chance to go. I, I did get your, uh, your little postcard uh, in the mail. Uh, went to your site, signed up. Um, so it was, it was a lot easier than um, the earlier go round, <laughs> which which prompted for you remember the earlier one what a year or two ago, yeah. actually solicited you to sign up for a particular package, yeah. which I think was a bit confusing and seemed to be way ahead of its time schedule wise. Uh, fortunately, the current one um, I thought was pretty good. Uh, the only thing that was a bit odd was um, there were three terms people were asked to acknowledge, which seemed to be a bit out of turn since we weren't dealing with service packages or terms of service or anything of that nature to, yeah. to be asked to conf you know to agree to those three three specific terms that seemed a bit odd what do you uh, remember what they were was it um... you know i i don't i think i did screenshot it so i'll go back and um, pull up a screenshot hopefully I, i'm pretty sure i took one and uh sent it to you that would be helpful I because um, you don't you, know, you don't want to lose too many people on that last screen, right? Right, and 
we're not asking for people to do anything except give us your address and your email. And if there's one more box that you got to click on, you know, it's just a, an impediment. And, um, you know, we're, we are changing kind of a standard sign-in process that people would be doing for service for just a notification. Um, and so some of those things like signing three different terms and conditions or whatever you had to agree to is just a legacy from what people may do when they actually have to sign up for service. And um, so if I know about that, then I can try to get those removed. Great. Terrific. Okay. I'll try to find it. Uh, and then on that, Mark, you know, we do get a number of questions about if, a, you know, an address doesn't always match um, as typed in to the underlying database. Um, for example, uh, apparently you couldn't have an ampersand in your street name. It would that would never show up in our database correctly. Um, and so a homeowner told us about that. It was like Fox and Hound Lane. Um, and uh, so we made a correction there. So if, if anyone comes to you all with issues that they've had in our website, uh, send them to me and I'll try to get them fixed. Terrific. Thank you. Uh, that's it for me. Um, any other questions, comments? Okay, Tom, thank you very much for updating us this evening. This has been very, very helpful. Sure, you're welcome. And Chris has this and can distribute to the team, and I will um, put together a map of the fiber service areas. Excellent, thank you. Sure. Okay. Um, so next up on the agenda are the franchisee reports. Uh, we'll start off with uh, Mr. Mulhall. Are you with us? And I am. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, everything is going swimmingly. We are having our biweekly meetings with uh, with Chris Mullen and going over all of our ticket items, giving updates and everything else. With the upcoming winter coming, I'm going to put a nice push for our storm ready Wi Fi. So, any, if anything should happen, you still have internet access for well, as long as you've got power, or the battery will provide up to four hours worth of backups, which is fantastic. Um, that's pretty much all I have at this point, unless you guys have any questions. Chris, anything from staff? The questions for Mr. Any questions? Okay, thank you. Uh, Ms. Anderson. There we go. Um, I was asked, I thought I was going to have a, our subject matter expert to speak to the commission about the affordable connectivity program, but she had a family emergency at the last minute, so she didn't give me some information that I could share with the commission on how we promote the ACP program in the county and in Northern Virginia. And um, she said that basically this summer we were promoting the ACP uh, along with the Capital Area Food Bank at a Reston Community uh, Marketplace um, uh, event that reaches about 200 people. Um, we promote it uh, with the uh, we do events with mixed mixed income MDUs on multi uh, apartment complexes where we promote the ACP along with STEM education programs. We have Verizon engineers that come talk to 
you know, adults and children about STEM and how they can get uh, involved with more technology. And we promote it with the Women's Business Center of Northern Virginia. And uh, we have small business di digital uh, preparedness programs that uh, we also promote it. Um, I'll note, and I, I'm sure Chris has got the same thing with Comcast, but we, anybody who, who does qualify for the ACP program also qualifies to apply for what a program we call Verizon Forward, which, uh, so they'll, they'll get a subsidy so they can get uh, internet connectivity for $30 and they can apply to have that completely discounted. So they don't have any uh, fees for either the set-top box or for, um, I mean, for the router or for services. So if they qualify, I'm sure Comcast has got the same thing. So um, uh, Candice will be happy to come if you have additional questions. I did look at the um, the county statistics on the FCC website, um, and I'm since I'm not the SME for this at all, I don't know why, but um, the number of enrollees in Loudoun County in April was 2,908, and as of the end of August, it had gone down to 1,055, and I don't really, since I'm not the SME on this, I don't really know why it's going up or down. Chris may have, may be more conversant about that. Do you know what, it's gone down so much? No, our numbers went down. We thought you were stealing our- uh, I thought our you were stealing out. mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, anyway, I, I did take a look at them. Um, as I said, they, the high that I saw, and I looked at the statistics for last year, and it was never as high as 3,000 in the county. Um, but it, so the high to me for this year looks like it was in April and it's it's it, it's down. Um, so, but anyway, um, Candace will be happy to come another month if you all have, have additional questions. Okay, terrific. Thanks, any questions? Great, Horizon. Yeah, thank you. Chris, anything for Verizon? No, just uh, I'll have the pleasure of Miss Anderson's uh, company at the end of the week. Excellent. Uh, I, I have a point of information to help answer why you've lost so many. Um, there was a change to the ACP funds availability. Uh, households that previously qualified for the emergency broadband benefit due to substantial loss of income as a result of job loss or furlough since February 20. 20. Um, this was a COVID carve out for even if your household wasn't below the income eligibility, if you had suffered a job loss or loss of some income, right. um, that specific qualification has gone away. Okay. So there, there are some number fewer people which qualify. Got it. And I'll okay. see you Friday, Chris. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much, Ms. Anderson. All right, uh, Chris, would you like to give a staff report? Uh, thank you, Chair Foster. Uh, Lex tickets are uh, very manageable down. We've got a total of 18, 13 open with Comcast and five open with uh, Verizon. Um, we've got an excellent batty update, so I really don't have anything to add to what Tom shared with us. <clears throat> The Verizon renewal process. The parties are reviewing red line agreement, and uh, our next session is this Friday, the 27th. That's what I was alluding to as far as uh, seeing Miss Anderson to go back through the uh, Verizon agreement. 
Uh, did was there a, another uh, extension recently signed, or is that what you're reviewing? Uh, no, no signed extension as we speak at this time. Okay. Uh, the, the other piece we have is the board approved American Rescue Plan ARPA funds for broadband expansion. That's the RFQ. So uh, procurement's in the final phase of the award process, informing the selected respondent and initiating the contract negotiations. So very optimistic that that would all uh, wrap up prior to uh, end of year as well. So we should expect to see an announcement by then. I would certainly ex expect to see an announcement by then. Okay, terrific. Any questions for staff? I do, and I, I might have should have asked Tom this question, but he mentioned that APB will assist the county with the the, the bead challenge. Um, what does that assistance look like? Um, are you all actually? What, are you participating in the challenge? Or? Well, the the way that it's currently set up is that the ISPs would be working directly with DHCD. So that we would work with uh, any of the ISPs that were asking us for input, validation, verification. But the big thing that we would be adding is a letter of support, you know, which goes into the overall scoring process, which is you know just under ten points. Has the county assisted in the uh, identification of community anchor institutions? Well, we those are primarily all covered within the uh, batting uh, project itself. Yes. So the classification of them, the county's assisted to make sure maybe our churches, the CAI, libraries. Yeah, even the breweries and the vineyards. Community anchor institutions? I was having a little bit of fun at the end of evening. But uh, yes. Okay, any other questions? Comments? All right, thank you. Thank you all. Um, all right, um, even though we can't open or close any new action items, uh, Aaron, you want to take us through a review of the current ones we have? So, one that was updated tonight was the ACP tape rate for Friday. So, I added the notes to that. Everything else is the same as it was. Okay. Terrific. All right, I think that takes us to. Any new business or individual commissioner comments? Jason, you want to kick us off? No new business. Okay, nothing for me. Uh, nothing for me. Just appreciate the updates. Again, apologies for, for missing July. Um, uh, but nothing's new. Well, it's good to see everyone. All right. Uh, right. So, no new comments or business for me. Uh, that takes us to our next commission meeting is scheduled. For November 27th, that's the Monday after Thanksgiving. Um, we have used year to date two of our three remote meetings. So we have the option, if we want, of using the last of our remote meetings for that one. Now, the reason I'm suggesting that is that given typical holiday break, um, we're, I don't see a likely a likely need for us to have a December meeting because we we'd need to have it within a few weeks of having had our November meeting. So I presume our November meeting will be our last for the year. So in that context, it probably makes sense to use up our last of our remote meeting slots. Um, 
unless there's a compelling reason for us to meet in person. And if we had someone presenting to us, it might be useful to be in person, but uh, any comments, reactions, thoughts? Does that sound okay? That sounds good. Certainly no objection. Okay, so we'll we'll plan to proceed accordingly on uh, November 27th. And uh, thank you everyone for coming tonight. Look forward to seeing you all then. Uh, I do encourage you all to give your supervisors an update on uh, what we've heard from Patty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, uh, everybody who joined us remotely.